Well, good morning once again. Good to see you all. Can I have you turn with me in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew chapter 28? Yes, it is true. Today we will finish the Gospel of Matthew. A study where we have taken an in-depth look at the life of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We have seen his birth, his ministry, we have studied his teachings, and finally we looked at his death and resurrection. Now, as we said last week, guys, as believers, we can study and understand all of these things. But if we don't grasp the last few verses in Matthew's gospel, guess what? We have missed the whole point. The whole point. If I were to ask you why Jesus came to the earth, no doubt most of you would say immediately, to save us. And I certainly couldn't argue with that because Jesus himself said, I have come to seek and to save those who are lost. But our salvation isn't where our Christian lives end, although some Christians act like it does. Salvation is where our Christianity actually begins. Salvation has never an end in itself, but a means to an end. The whole purpose of salvation is to make disciples who will go then into all the world and reproduce ourselves. The purpose we have come to refer to as the Great Commission. So in Matthew 28, verse 18, we read, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. And, lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen. The Great Commission becomes the standing orders for all believers in Christ, for the period of time between his ascension and his return to the earth to establish his kingdom. The dictionary defines the term standing orders as, and I quote, a military order or ruling that is retained irrespective of changing conditions, end quote. The Great Commission contains a single universal command to all the followers of Christ who are also called soldiers of Christ, and that is to make disciples. In fact, as we pointed out last week, that one command, make disciples, is embedded in four all, quote-unquote, statements or declarations. First of all, Jesus possesses all authority, verse 18. Secondly, he sends us to all nations, verse 19. Number three, we are to teach people all he has commanded, verse 20. And as we do, we are to know that he will be with us all ways, or all the days we are on the earth doing what he has commanded us to do in reaching the lost. That's the latter part of verse 20. Now, we looked at the first of these last week. Jesus possesses all authority. He said in verse 18, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Now, let me just say this, because you'll have to get the CD from last week if you really want to get into this first one, because we went into it in depth. But let me just say this. A king has authority over his kingdom. What that means is he has the right to use power. And he can delegate that power to those who represent him and serve him. Our king, the king of kings, Jesus Christ, has done that very thing for his servants. He has delegated his authority, his power, his victory to us to do his work. We saw in Matthew 10, verse 1, when Jesus sent the twelve out to preach the gospel. It says, when he called them to himself, the twelve, he gave them power, Greek word is authority, over unclean spirits to cast them out 
and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. And then, of course, he sent them out to preach the gospel. And so in this opening statement by Jesus, all authority belongs to me. Now go and make disciples. It speaks of the power to do the work the king is commissioning us to do in his name. Well, that brings us to the second all statement, that Jesus is sending us to all nations. Verse 19, he said, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. The Greek word there, translated go, is actually not a command, but a present participle in the Greek. Going, going is the idea. Jesus is saying, while you are going, make disciples. What does that mean? Well, in other words, as you're going into the world every day, to work, to school, to the store, as you're living your life and going into the world, look, let your light so shine. Let your light so shine. Why is that important? Well, because it's the first step of making disciples. The goal of the Christian life is to make disciples. We got it. But before we can make disciples, we first have to make converts. Mark put it this way in his gospel as he recorded a little more of what Jesus actually said. Mark 16, starting in verse 15, Jesus said to them, to his disciples, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. So the goal of the Great Commission is to make disciples. But you first have to make converts. And that's where the preaching of the gospel comes in. But listen, once a person is saved, they don't need to be preached at any longer. Now they need to be taught the word of God. And they need to be taught it, I, I believe, verse by verse, all the way through God's word. Because that's the only way they're going to get the whole counsel of God. There are times I'll turn on the, the cable and I will watch uh, different church services. And God bless the pastor. They're preaching their hearts out. But they're preaching mostly to the saved. The saints don't need to be preached at. They're already saved. They need to be taught the word of God. You see, the word disciple is the word mathetes in the Greek. And literally means a learner. A learner. One who learns. Uh, the closest word we would have to that in our vernacular would be apprentice. Apprentice. You see, a disciple back then attached himself to a teacher and not only followed him around to learn from his words, but also to learn from his life, to study his example. In fact, back then, they would even live with their teachers because that was the only way they could really soak in the idea. Soak in everything the teacher exemplified if they were going to fully replicate their teacher's life in their own life and eventually pass these lessons on to their own disciples someday. Because the goal of every disciple was to grow into a teacher and be a, a disciple maker himself. I mean, that was the pattern of the New Testament church. Let me quote to you from 2 Timothy. Here's what Paul said. And this hasn't changed, guys. Uh, I'm not saying all churches are doing it, but this is the pattern of reproduction for the church. Paul said, 2 Timothy 2, starting in verse 1, he said, You therefore, my son, speaking of, to Timothy, a young pastor, Paul calls him his son because Paul gave birth to this young guy through the gospel. He was a spiritual father. You therefore, my son, Timothy, is the idea. Be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me, listen, among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also so timothy i've taught you now you teach others the same things i have taught you and then let them teach others reproductive cycles of teaching is how the church is multiplied and disciples are multiplied 
You can't make disciples without teaching. Look, once again, all converts are disciples. All converts are disciples. There is no such thing as a Christian who is not a disciple. Those terms are synonymous. So a lot of Christians who feel that they're not the same thing. A lot of Christians believe, well, I've received Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, so I'm saved. And, you know, sometime down the road, I intend to get serious and become a disciple. Well, I understand where they're coming from, but they're mistaken. Every Christian is automatically a disciple. What they're really saying is, look, I want to go to heaven, so I want to, you know, I've accepted Christ and I'm, I'm saved now, but I'm not really ready to turn my life fully over to Jesus and get serious. Well, let me just say this to you. That's where you're coming from. If you're not serious about Jesus, there's a good chance he's not serious about you either. All right? Uh, and there's a good chance you might not even really know him. Because the whole heart of a person who really wants to receive Christ is they want to go forward. They don't want to stay in the old life. They want to come out of Egypt. They want to move into the promised land of the life of the Spirit, really. So Jesus said in verse 19 again, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Now, the word nations in the Greek is the word ethnos. We get the English word ethnic from that Greek word. Look, we all know this. The fundamental message of the Christian faith is that God is no respecter of persons. What does that mean? God loves everybody the same. There is no caste system uh, in heaven. There is no, you know, that God loves one group of people on the earth more than others in the sense he, he's able to bless certain people on the earth more than others because they've received Jesus. But he loves all the people of the world. God is no respecter of persons. In other words, there's no prejudice with God. He loves everybody equally. And he has commanded his church to go into all the world, make disciples of all ethnic groups who he loves the same. In fact, we see in Revelation 5, verse 9, as the church age has come to an end, we've all been raptured up into heaven, and we're all around the throne of God as the redeemed, the church, and we're singing the song of the redeemed to our Savior. I love it. We're singing, and you better learn this song, guys, because you're going to be singing it soon. All right? You don't want to get up to heaven and act like a, you know, kind of a country bumpkin, clueless, you know. I didn't know there was going to be streets of gold, you know. What's that song you're all singing? Hey, get with the program, you know. Find out what's happening before you get there. But here's the song of the redeemed, okay. You are worthy, speaking to our Savior, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. I love that. In heaven, we have people from all over the world. Every ethnic group is represented because God loves all the people of the world. I'm just so thankful. And I love the diversity in the body of Christ. The world right now, it seems like ethnic groups are just against each other all over the place. I love to come to church. I love when our church reflects more and more the diversity in the body of Christ. You know, the world comes in here checking us out, maybe, and they see, you know, Asians and African-Americans and Caucasians and whatever, all coming together. We're all loving each other and singing God's praises. That's a powerful witness to the world. And that's how it's going to be in heaven for eternity. Now, here's something that throws some people. Again, verse 19, Jesus said, Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Now, some think that this is a command. Uh, baptizing is a command. No, actually, 
Uh, it's not a separate command. As we have pointed out in the Greek text of the Great Commission, there are three present participle verbs, going, baptizing, and teaching. Each of these is a part of the only command Jesus gave his church in the Great Commission, which was to make disciples. Going, baptizing, teaching are all essential elements of the disciple-making process. Now, we can see and understand the importance of evangelizing and teaching in the process of making a disciple. But what about baptism? How does water baptism fit in there? What, you know, what is the significance or the purpose of water baptism in the Christian life? Well, we could spend a long time just teaching on that, talking about it, but I just want to whittle it down to its just most basic form. Water baptism is really an outward sign of the New Covenant. It's the outward sign of the New Covenant, the one we entered into when we gave our hearts to Christ, the one he ratified on the cross through his own blood. You know, it's a sign of the New Covenant. A sign points to something, right? Now, water baptism is a public sign that points to our relationship with Jesus, that we now belong to him. Listen, water baptism is to Christianity what a wedding ring is to marriage. Water baptism, I don't believe, is essential for salvation, but it is a beautiful symbol of your commitment to Jesus. Just like a wedding ring isn't essential for marriage, but is a beautiful outward symbol of your commitment to your spouse. Now, if you take your wedding ring off, as I have done because it doesn't fit anymore, is you take your, it doesn't mean you're not married anymore. You know, your marriage isn't dependent on the outward symbol, just like your salvation isn't dependent on the outward symbol of baptism. But it does become a beautiful, that's why we encourage people, if they're going to be baptized, don't invite your friends and family. We want to make a, a big public thing of it. Because it's your way of saying to the people closest to you, before you ever go out into the world, and tell people about Jesus. It's your way of saying to the people closest to you, I belong to Jesus now. In essence, I'm married to him. Okay, He is my Lord and my Savior. Now listen. Water baptism not only speaks of our belonging to Jesus, it also speaks of us belonging to one another. Very important. Because we are now members of the body of Christ on the earth, his church. As Christians, we're called to belong, not just to believe. We belong to the family of God now. And again, we're members of the body of Christ. Water baptism is not only a symbol of salvation, it's also a symbol of our oneness in Christ. In fact, turn to Romans chapter 12. And we can go to 1 Corinthians 12 as well, but we'll just read Romans 12 verse 5. Paul said, so we being many are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Now again, Paul hits this very hard in 1 Corinthians 12, where he likens the body of Christ to a human body. The human body has got many different parts. In fact, they tell me that the human body has like a trillion cells. That's a lot of cells. All coming together to work together to give the body life and so on. Well, the same is true in the body of Christ. We have many members spread throughout the world with many different gifts. But together we are one body. We are one with each other. And baptism is our way of saying to the world in part that we belong now. We don't just believe for salvation. We belong to a group called the body of Christ. We are 
individual members of a one body and that body is on the earth representing Jesus and doing the work he started and turned over to his church to complete. In fact, one pastor put it this way, said, and I quote, water baptism not only declares a person's allegiance to Jesus, but also their acceptance into the body of Christ. It says to the world, this person is not one of us. We have fellowship with each other, end quote. And that unity, that oneness is very important to us. When one member of the body is hurting, we all want to run over there and encourage and help any way we can. If one member rejoices, we want to rejoice with them because what affects one really affects all of us. Now, let me, let me just say this and we'll move on. Again, in verse 19, where Jesus said, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, listen, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. In Christian baptism, we acknowledge publicly that we worship one God. One God. We're not polytheists. There are those that don't understand the Christian faith and think because we worship Father, Son, Holy Spirit, we worship three gods. We do not worship three gods. We worship one God who has manifested himself in three separate and distinct persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The idea is that as Christians, we acknowledge God as our Father. We acknowledge that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. And we acknowledge that the Holy Spirit is the one who indwells us and empowers us to live the Christian life and to carry out the Great Commission, which we don't do in our own strength. We do in the power of God. But if you study the the way the word name is used in the scriptures. In fact, when you study it in the Old Testament primarily, where at one point Moses asked the Lord to reveal himself to him, and it says that God revealed his name by showing Moses his character. You know, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in, in mercy and goodness and so on. God laid out his attributes, his character, which was all encompassed in the term name, his name. I'll give you an example. When Jesus said to us to pray this way in my name to the Father, what was he saying? You know, just whatever you want to ask God, you can ask him and then tack on in Jesus' name at the end. And that's what he was talking about? No. When he was saying, whatever you ask the Father in my name, you'll receive. He was saying, whatever you ask the Father, which is going to be consistent with who I am how I've lived, what I've done on the earth, which is to seek and to save those who are lost. Anything you ask the Father in my name, according to my character for the work of my kingdom, the Father will make sure you get what you need to do the work. But when we get baptized in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit, what we're saying to the world is this. We are identifying with the God of the Bible, the Lord God Almighty who made heaven and earth. We are identifying with him. We are now one with him. His character, we want to be our character. His purpose is our purpose. We are no longer the God of our own life. We've relinquished control to the God of heaven, and now we want to identify with him and do all that he's commanded us to do, live our lives according to all that he is. Okay, the first all statement. Jesus possesses all authority. Guys, that's the power of the Great Commission. Number two, Jesus is sending us to all nations. That is the people of the Great Commission. Number three, we are to teach people all he has commanded. That becomes the principles of the Great Commission. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you. Now, we've already basically spoken to this point, but let me just say this. You can't make disciples of Christ without teaching them everything that Jesus taught and teaching them that they must obey everything 
that he taught. The idea is that we, we can't just pick and choose what we want from God's word to obey and reject the rest, okay? Jesus said that uh, we live our lives as believers by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Uh, not just the ones we like, but every word. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Free from error, free from bondage. But the idea is that we must obey all that God has said. If we're going to be true disciples, we can't be selective in our obedience, okay? Can't be selective in our obedience. You know, there are those who seem to approach their Christianity kind of like you would approach the salad bar at the local sizzler. In other words, if we all like salad bars as, uh, as Americans because we get to pick what we're going to eat, okay? We got all this food, but we can pick only the stuff we really like. Some people approach their Christianity that way. Some have called it the salad bar spirituality. They go to the Word, and they pick out all the stuff they like, and they say, well, this I, I'll take this, I'll take this. No, this I reject. This, no, no, I don't like this. And they really construct for themselves a kind of a do-it-yourself religion. Do-it-yourself religion is another way of saying rebellion and apostasy. Any disobedience, any disobedience is a serious thing in the eyes of God. What did God say through the prophet Samuel? He said that rebellion is as the sin of what? Witchcraft. And stubbornness toward what God has said, that's like iniquity and idolatry. There's a lot of Christians who think that because they obey God in some things, he must be pleased. He wants us to obey him in all things. That's the heart of a true disciple, living by every word which God has spoken. Look, the church exists to teach God's people his word so that they can grow, mature, and become more and more like Jesus. Guys, this won't be accomplished through selective teaching, but only through the systematic teaching of God's word. What do I mean? Genesis 1-1 through Revelation 22-21, the whole counsel of God. I believe verse by verse. Look, I love topical teaching. There are some incredible topical teachers on the radio. I enjoy hearing their studies. I have taught topically many times. But you also should incorporate into your teaching, at some point during the week as a pastor, verse by verse teaching. Because that is the only, look it, a topical teacher uh, some of the great ones, they, they work hard not to do this. But for so many who, are just, who just teach topically, let's be honest, we all have our favorite topics, okay? And they tend to come up over and over and over in this teacher's ministry. If you teach verse by verse, you have to cover everything, everything. And the beautiful thing about that is, one of the beautiful things, yeah, you get the whole counsel of God, but one of the beautiful things is, Nobody can accuse you of singling them out from the pulpit and teaching at them. I can't tell you how many times I've had a person come up to me after service and say, you know, so-and-so brought me today. Oh, yeah, really? Okay, good. And, yeah, did they call you last night? Did they have to tell you I was going to be here? Did they tell you what I was going through in my life? No. Well, why do you ask? Everything you were teaching was right. It was me. Okay, you, are you sure they didn't call and tell you to tailor the message at me? No, I'm just teaching verse by verse, okay? How can I, you know, we're just going right through. 
Look, it's as the old saying goes, if you throw a rock into a pack of dogs, the one that yipes, probably the one that got hit. Okay? I'm just lobbing God's truth out to you guys. If you're getting hit, deal with that with you and God. That's the beauty of verse-by-verse teaching. Can't accuse me of tailoring a message just to you. It just happens to be where we are. Okay? If it's stepping on your toes, get right with God with that issue. Selective teaching is going to limit a person's growth. But systematic teaching right through God's word, that will promote the most growth possible. In fact, turn to Colossians 1 for a second. I love the way Paul put this so succinctly in Colossians 1 verse 28. I think this is Paul's way of just living out the Great Commission in his own life. Listen to what he said. Him we preach, Jesus Christ, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. Do you see that? We preach to the lost, Paul said, but then we teach the saved. Okay? Preach to the lost. Got to do that to make converts. If you're going to make disciples, you got to convert them. I mean, I know the Holy Spirit does the work. Don't get me wrong. I'm just saying that you can't make disciples until you first make converts. So you preach to the lost. Then when they accept Christ, you teach the saints, right? You teach the saints. I mean, teaching God's word faithfully and systematically is going to produce mature believers, what some have called sanctification through discipleship. And guys, that's a process that starts at conversion and goes the rest of our lives. I mean... When you get saved immediately, you are to start cracking open your Bible and becoming a student of the Word. You're to study it. You're to read it. You're to listen to messages. And there's no reason today why anyone has to live on one or two meals a week, spiritually speaking. You can download studies for free from the greatest teachers in the whole world and listen to them on your iPod or from your telephone. You can go on the web. Uh, Many fantastic teachers in our country have all their sermons archived, and they have transcripted so you can read them. You didn't want to take the time to listen. There is no reason for any Christian to go without the teaching of God's Word today. It continues, though, the rest of our lives. And uh, no matter how much we grow as Christians, the work will be incomplete until Jesus comes for us at the rapture, and then we shall be made like him, for we shall see him as he is. The process of sanctification will finally become complete. But until then, we press on. And again, guys, teaching is not an end in itself. It's a means to an end. In other words, you don't just learn for the sake of learning. You learn for the sake of living. There's a purpose in all this. Remember what James said? He said, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you are only fooling yourselves. There's a lot of Christians who come to church and think because they hear God's word being taught, somehow that's all they need to do. When the purpose of learning is living, is to apply. And remember what Jesus said once again, that we are to teach young disciples to obey everything he has commanded. As pastors, we are to teach the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help us God. I've not been called to teach you the latest pop psychology, okay? Again, I'm Pastor Phil, not Dr. Phil, all right? There's a difference. I'm not here to entertain you, okay? I was talking to a guy after first service, and he said that he was going to a church out in California, but it was so theatrical, and the guy was always trying to entertain when he was preaching. Look... My responsibility is not to entertain anybody. 
It's as Paul said in Ephesians 4, to teach the word of God faithfully, which equips the saints to do the work of ministry. Look, I'm not the minister. I'm the equipper, basically. I'm to equip you to do the work of ministry. How? By teaching you the word. Now, I always try to weave the gospel in because you're saved, but there's always somebody here that may not know the Lord. So at the end of every message, I try to weave the gospel in. But my goal is not to preach to the lost here at church. It's to teach the saints. And as somebody said, it definitely is not to entertain the goats. They, they said, you know, when is the church going to stop entertaining the goats and get back to feeding the sheep? Well, that's a question that we're all, all wrestling with. But again, this is absolutely necessary, teaching all of God's truth. If we're going to fulfill what Paul said in Acts 20, verse 27, teaching the whole counsel of God. Okay. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, Jesus said, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And guys, that brings us to the fourth all statement, okay? As we do these things, we are then to know that he will be with us all ways. And guys, that is the promise of the Great Commission. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, I think the King James translates that even to the end of the world. That's incorrect. That is incorrect. In the Jewish mind, this present evil age, which started in the Garden of Eden with the rebellion of Adam and Eve against what God said, it brought into this world sin. It brought the fall. It brought rebellion. It brought people doing their own thing, living their, their lives the way they want to live, being the God of their own life. The Jews saw this present evil age is the age of man's rebellion. And they were looking for a new age to come, the kingdom age, which Jesus Christ is going to bring to the earth when he comes. When he comes, he is going to establish the kingdom across the face of the whole earth. He will reign from Jerusalem visibly. Now you say, well, won't he be with us when he comes, of course he will. But the Great Commission will be basically done by then. What do you mean? Well, we won't have to go into all the world and preach the gospel because it says during the kingdom age, everybody's going to know the Lord. Not know him in the sense of salvation, but know who he is. In fact, it says clearly you won't have to tell your neighbor, come, come know the Lord. Come to church so we can, we can introduce you to Jesus. Because everyone will know me, the Lord said. From the least to the greatest, the knowledge of me will cover the earth as the waters of the seas do now. That doesn't mean, though, everybody who was born in the kingdom age is going to go to heaven. It just means everyone will know who Jesus is. Everyone will have firsthand knowledge of what it's like to live under his reign. When Satan is led out of the bottomless pit at the end of the thousand-year millennial kingdom, he goes across the face of the whole earth tempting people to join him in one final rebellion. Unfortunately, many people join the devil. And of course, there is no rebellion. The Lord just judges them and sends them to hell. But Jesus said, during the church age, before I come again, I'm going to be with you. Now you say, well, how is that possible? I don't see Jesus. What is he talking about? Well, turn to John 14, I'll show you. In the upper room the night before his crucifixion, Jesus was teaching his disciples one last time. And it says in John 14, starting in verse 15, he said to them, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, ideas he's going back to the Father, 
When I return back to the Father, I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Listen. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. So Jesus is saying that he comes to live in our hearts through the indwelling Holy Spirit. Because God is Father, Son, Holy Spirit, but they're all one God. When the Holy Spirit came to live in our hearts at the moment of conversion, Jesus Christ moved into our hearts. Okay, So Jesus is with us. He's with us. And will never leave us nor forsake us. So look at as we wrap this up. Hopefully after today, you've come to understand that the Great Commission doesn't just apply to missionaries who go into all the world and foreign lands. There's a lot of missions organizations that have taken this as their mission's banner. You know, go into all the world and make disciples. I have no problem with that. But don't understand that just in that limited perspective. Because it really doesn't just apply to missionaries, it applies to all Christians. All Christians. Again, Jesus is commanding all of us. He is saying, as you are going into all the world, preach the gospel to everyone you meet. Wait a minute. People read that and go, hold it. I'm supposed to preach the gospel to everyone I run into in the course of my day? How is that possible? I'll never get anywhere. I'll always be stopping to talk to people about Jesus. You can't be serious. Well, let me just put it this way. There's a lot of ways we can preach the gospel. Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 3, verse 2. He said to the Corinthian Christians, he said, You are my epistles, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. You're living epistles. There are some people who will never, ever set foot in a church. You bring the church to them. Because your life becomes a living epistle, a living letter of who Jesus is. Augustine said, preach the gospel wherever you go. If necessary, use words. We understand what he's talking about. And the Lord Jesus put it this way. He said, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. Guys, the most powerful and effective evangelism is a changed life. Do you realize that? I mean... People can argue with your theology. They can argue with our doctrine. They can argue all day long whether or not, you know, Jesus is the only way to heaven. They believe many roads lead to heaven. We don't. And they can argue with our doctrine, but they can't argue with a changed life, right? I mean, the guys I used to work with before I got saved many years ago, I mean, they all knew me. And then I got saved. And my life radically changed. And they used to give me a hard... I work with truck drivers, all right? And, you know, not the easiest guys to get along with when you're a Christian. Not that there aren't godly truck drivers, but, you know. And I, you know, and I know they, they used to pick apart everything I believed. But one thing they couldn't argue with was a changed life. And when I got some of them alone in private, they would ask me, what's different about you? What happened? And I was able to share the gospel. Preach the gospel everywhere you go. If necessary, use words. Let your light so shine. Lifestyle evangelism to me is the most powerful kind of evangelism. Now, I guess the question to leave you with 
is why has the Great Commission become the great omission in the modern church? Well, several years ago, I heard something that I've never forgotten. A survey was done by the group Evangelism Explosion. Some of you know this organization. They came out of Dr. D. James Kennedy's ministry. And Evangelism Explosion is a ministry that teaches people how to evangelize. And they were wondering why more evangelicals don't share their faith, why they don't evangelize more. I mean, we, we know it's important. We know Jesus is the only way. We know that God is offering salvation freely to anyone who will receive Christ. So why don't we evangelicals witness more? And they thought, before they gave this, took the survey, they thought they knew the answer. People were going to say, well, I'm scared to talk. I don't really know what to say. I don't feel I know enough, and so on. When they took the survey, they were shocked to find the number one answer that was given. You know what it was? Christians said, the reason I don't evangelize my friends and co-workers and so on more than I do is because I know I'm not living a faithful and authentic Christian life. And so to then witness to them about Jesus when compared with the life I'm living, I would come across as a hypocrite. Here's the deal. We don't want you to be a hypocrite, okay? The answer is not to stop saying anything about Jesus because you're not living rightly. The answer is to start living rightly so you can speak with boldness about our Savior. Look, I'll leave you with a quote from my pastor who's with the Lord now, Pastor Chuck Smith. The issue is why is the Church of Jesus Christ so impotent today when we have been given the power of our Savior to use in reaching the world for Christ? Chuck said, it's because the church is not what it's supposed to be. He said, when the church becomes what God wants it to be, then God will do for the church and through the church what God desires to do. In other words, we have got to get serious about our Savior. It was said that, well, I think it's still true. Um, it might have changed recently, but I'm not sure. But I think it's true that Islam is still the fastest growing religion on the face of the earth. Now, they don't have the truth. They don't have a risen Savior that lives inside of them and empowers them to do all things. So why are they the fastest religion, growing religion on the face of the earth? When people were surveyed to find out why, these were Americans becoming Muslims now, why they were becoming Muslims, they said because these people, they're willing to die for their beliefs. Anybody who is willing to die for what they believe, to me, they have the truth. How sad. But it does, it does tell us that if we're going to say to the world we really believe in our Savior and we believe he is who he claimed to be, but we're not really living all out for him, the world isn't going to take us seriously. So may God give us the grace to understand that just because we have the truth, just because Jesus is God who came down and died for our sins, just because he lives in our hearts now through the power of his Holy Spirit, and just because he has commanded us to go forth, commissioned us, and gave us the power we need to do the work, just because all of that's true doesn't mean we're going to walk in power, doesn't mean the church is going to be effective if we are not living full on for our Savior. Something to think about. We're going to go into all the world and make disciples of all ethnic groups. We had better 
be obeying everything Jesus said ourselves before we begin to teach others to obey all that he has commanded. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you for our study in this incredible gospel. We have learned many principles. We have studied the life of our Savior under a microscope. And yet, Lord, all of that is really wasted time if we are not willing to apply the last few verses of Matthew's gospel into our lives and go into all the world and make disciples. And for that to happen, Lord, we have to get serious about you ourselves. Because we have to make converts before we can make disciples. And people are not going to want to get saved by looking at a life that is lived in worldliness and hypocrisy. Give us, Lord, grace to start living for you full on, totally committed, on fire. Lord, give us the grace this coming year to really live what we claim to believe. Our Christianity is not just about learning. Learning is not an end in itself. It's all about learning to live. And so, Lord, give us grace to do that. Set a fire in each of our hearts. That, Lord, we have such a passion for the lost. That, Lord, our lives will be consumed with trying to reach them for you. And that means walking closely with you ourselves. Lord, thank you. Father, we ask all these things now in Jesus' precious name. Amen.